0: I believe this. I believe that God's given us uh, some great food these past few weeks. Do you agree with that? Amen? Amen. Last Sunday morning, we, uh, we talked about this importance of, of having margin in our lives. A couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at the story of Jesus healing Bartimaeus and how, how God will bring breakthrough. We, we've talked about the identity that we have and, and, and the, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reason why the undeniability of that resurrection, that it gives us a, a platform for all that we do. We're going to continue this series, Transformed, through Pentecost Sunday. Uh, because I believe this. I believe that an understanding of what Jesus did in his disciples on the day of Pentecost... Uh, 50 days um, after um, after after we saw uh, Jesus death burial and resurrection that that which happened on Pentecost Sunday that which was birthed in that moment and and that that strength that power that's still available for us today it is vitally important that every believer have an understanding of all of the spiritual gifts all of the strength all of the power and everything that comes with God's presence in our life if we truly appropriate those gifts that he has for us. And so so we are, we are working towards uh, Pentecost Sunday. Th- this morning, I, I want to talk to you about God's ability to bring death to life and, and what God can do to take this issue of, of fear and worry uh, and, and how God can give us amazing breakthrough and, and sustaining life in those moments when it seems like there's nothing but death. I want, I, want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about your hurts. I want to talk to you about your fears. I want to talk to you about those, those things that you've lost that you feel like you'll never be able to recover. Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 7 Jesus and his disciples, they are, they are along their way and they come to this town called Nain. And as they enter the town of Nain, there is a, a group of folks coming out of town as Jesus and his disciples are coming into town. As Jesus is walking along with his disciples, no doubt there's conversation of, of all that's happened in ministry and all this activity and just the cool things. And there's a, there's, there's a buzz. There's a, there's a sense of anticipation. What, what's Jesus going to do here? There's, there's laughter and there's, there's joking. This group that's coming out of the city, there's sorrow. There's sorrow. And it's, it's relatively quiet except for the sounds of one woman softly sobbing. I've done hundreds of funerals as a pastor. And in each, in each funeral, um, I, I try very diligently to not just acknowledge the passing, but to celebrate the life. And then the last couple of weeks I've, I have preached the funeral of an 86 year old man, I've preached the funeral of a two year old baby. And in both of those, even, even in, the, in the loss of both of those, we were able to celebrate those lives. And there was an inevitable smile on the face. There was an, an inevitable uh, laughter in the moment in the rooms as, as, we, as we talk about the gift that God has given and, and the times that we've had together. But then you reach that moment and the, the funeral is over. And the casket is closed. And a lot of funerals, you go from the funeral home to the graveside. I've never heard laughter at a graveside. I've never seen a smile at a graveside. It's normally a very quiet moment and a very somber moment. Because when the funeral is over, there's a sense of finality. It's done. And this group that Jesus intersects there on the outskirts of Nain, the funeral is over. And now all that's left is to place the body in the tomb. And so they walk very somber. They walk very quiet, except one. A mother that can hardly contain her emotion. She's walked this road before, because Scripture tells us that she's a widow. So she's walked this road before, but the last time she walked it, she held the hand of her son. She didn't imagine that she would be walking it so soon again. And this time, she walks it and she walks it with no hand to hold. Because not only has she lost her husband, she's lost her son. And not only has she lost her son, Scripture tells us she's lost her only son. And so as she's walking that road, even though there's a funeral procession with her, she feels very much alone. In fact, she probably doesn't even realize that she's crying. She is so lost in her moment and so involved in her pain. And as she as she walks along in a state of suspended animation, suddenly she is startled. Because there's a hand that touches her and says this to her. Don't cry. Don't cry. I wonder what she thought in that moment. I wonder what she felt at that point. Don't, don't cry. Is, is it possible that she thought, oh, I, I didn't even realize that I was crying? Is it, is it possible in that moment that the full force of her pain became once again apparent to her? Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. If you had any idea what was going on in my life, if you had any idea the depth of my suffering, if you have any realization of the complete and utter loss of hope, don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry could have been said at a bedside. Don't cry could have been said at the funeral. But friends, we're on our way not to a funeral, we're on our way to a grave. Don't cry. And here's what I know. I know this. I know that there are some that are here. And you have cried so much that you don't know if you can cry anymore. And and you believe in God. But faith is a different thing. You believe in God. You believe that God can. But you've gone through so much. That you're not convinced that he will. God heals, but he heals somebody else. God, God delivers, but he delivers somebody else. God provides for the person sitting in the pew next to me, but not so much for me. Because my moment, my opportunity, is—it's past. Friend, God brought you here today to let you know that he has the ability to step between the funeral and the grave. In those moments when you think that it's too far gone, in those moments when you think that there's no more reason to hope, in those times when you think that there's no more reason to trust, in those seasons when you're convinced that faith no longer matters, God has the ability to step between the funeral and the grave. And he has brought you here today to say to you the same thing that he says to a widow on the road as she anticipates burying her only son. Don't cry. Don't cry. God, this morning as we, as we take these moments to look into your word, we ask that it would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe this. I believe that all of us have these wonderful uh, reservoirs of, of, of potential, of full potential that we have vast areas that can provide uh, great influence, great opportunity, great satisfaction, gr- great blessing. But the roads that lead to those reservoirs, they, they seem to be guarded. And they seem to be guarded by this issue, the, the dragon of, of fear. In, in, in insecurity. A- anxiety. Anxiety. That's, that's where this widow has to be. What, what's, what's left for me? What, what hope is there for me? I'm too far gone. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked with people about the reality of who God is and the strength that's found in his promises, only to have them say to me, yeah, not for me. Not for me. Oh, I, I believe everything that you're saying, but you don't understand after all that I have done. Oh, oh I, I knew the love of God at one point in my life. I, I knew the presence of the Holy Spirit at one time in my day. But that was a long time ago, and that was a a lot of broken promises and and, and a lot of devastating relationships and, and a lot of really poor decisions on my part. And so all that's left now is simply trying to get by, just simply trying to survive another day. And so, when you come to church and you hear me quote scriptures like, the thief comes to steal, and steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to its full, or that life is meant to be enjoyed, not simply endured. It, it at some level, resonates with you. But then that fear comes. and it consistently repeatedly pulls you back in to the pain i i believe this i believe it with every fiber of my being sir god wants this to be your breakthrough day ma'am god god wants this to be your deliverance moment you you have things in your life you've 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 drifted to vices that you that you never imagined that you would. Because it's your means of coping. You self-medicate. You, you turn on your computer and and you look at images. And you do both in hopes that you can somehow spend some time in a a different world. In an altered reality. And those moments of fantasy bring little solace to the wounds that run very deep. It doesn't have to be that way. It it doesn't matter how long you've been stuck in that. It doesn't matter how well worn the ruts are. It, It doesn't have to be that way. And it's not too late. It's never too late. Let me say that again it's never too late. My family won't talk to me. It's never too late. My job history is such it's almost impossible for me to find gainful employment. It's never too late. I have a disease that the doctors say that there is no cure and I have this disease in my body because of decisions I have made. It's never too late. My children won't take my phone call. It's never too late it's never too late Jesus in in John chapter 11 Jesus hears word that his friend Lazarus is sick and when he, when he receives word, it tells us this, it tells us that, um, that Jesus loves Mary, that Jesus loves Martha, Jesus loves Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's interesting. It, it, it almost sounds like a contradiction doesn't it jesus loves lazarus and he loves lazarus sisters mary and martha and jesus hears that lazarus is sick loving them you would think that out of love that he'd be compelled to immediately go to them and yet it tells us that jesus loved them and yet he stays where he is two more days. And in that time, Lazarus dies. When Jesus gets to Bethany, both Mary and Martha say this, Jesus, had only you been here. Jesus, had only you been here, our brother would not have died. They believe. They believe. But understand this. There's a difference between belief and faith. Let me say that again because if you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to get this. There's a difference between belief and faith. In fact, the word of God declares that even the demons of hell believe in Jesus and shudder. There's a difference between belief and faith. There's a difference between believing that God can and faith, functioning knowing that God will. Okay? How many of you believe that God will meet your needs? How many? Okay. Now, I want you to put your hands down. I don't want you to raise your hands with this. How many of you that just said that you believe that God will meet all your needs, how many of you were obedient with what God tells you to do in stewardship with the tithe today? Don't raise your hands. There's a difference between belief and faith. Jesus, his, his disciples, they believe in him. But when Jesus says, we're going to Bethany, Here's the response of his disciples. His disciples go, uh, Jesus, last time we were in Judea, the Pharisees tried to stone you. Uh, we don't think it's a good idea to go back there. And Jesus says, listen, it's fine to go. He, he, he says this. He says, listen, he says, there, are there not 12 hours in a day? People don't stumble in the daylight. They stumble at night. Where in essence, he says, listen, you don't have to worry about, about something bad happening. You're going with me. We're going. Because... My, my friend Lazarus is asleep, to which one of the disciples says this, well, Jesus, if he's sleeping, surely he'll wake up. We don't have to go. See, they, they believe in Jesus, but faith is something different. Even, even in the resurrection, they believe in Jesus, yet they go to the upper room and they, they lock the door out of fear. It wasn't until the day of Pentecost that they actually step into faith. What does faith look like? Here's what faith looks like. Faith is three Hebrew young men standing before an occupying king, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. These three young men, their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar built this this massive golden statue of himself and said that everyone was to bow down and and worship this statue. These three young men, knowing that they cannot dishonor God by bowing to something else, they don't bow. The king hears about it and calls them to come to him, has, has him has them brought to him. And says, I understand that you didn't bow. And they said, no. And he said, all right, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. He says, listen, I've given this decree that those who don't bow, that they will be put to death. They'll be thrown in a furnace. If, if you don't bow, I, I, have to, I have to be obedient to the decree that, I, that I've given. How, how, how can your God save you then? And they answer him and they say, your majesty. It's interesting they, they honor him, your majesty. They're not being disrespectful on any level. Your, your majesty, in regards to this matter, we don't have to give you a defense. You, you can throw us in the furnace because we have this confidence. We have this confidence that our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, Isn't that an interesting statement? Okay, we believe that he will deliver us. We have faith that he knows what he's doing. Let me give that to you again. We believe that he will deliver us. We have faith in his promises. God, I believe that you're going to do this. But even if you don't, my faith is unmoved. Belief is having the head knowledge of the likelihood. Faith is the activity that is born out of a confidence in an individual or a situation. So what faith is, and James makes this very clear, he says faith without works is non-existent. Faith has to have action to it. Faith has to have substance to it. And faith is the key. In fact, for the anxiety that you have in your life, for this worry that you have in your life, for for these things that cause you pain and cause you to cry, we see in Scripture three key antidotes. The first is truth. John 8 says this, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I I love this, this, this definition of fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. And what the enemy does is the enemy loves to lie to you. Okay. And and that's where that's where truth is buttressed by this. It's buttressed by love and by faith. 1 John 4:18 says this, love contains no fear. Right? Perfect love drives out all fear. Love contains no fear. Fully developed love it will expel every particle of fear. They can't exist together. Why is love the end of the road fear? Here's a reason why. Because the root of a lot of fear is simply self-centeredness. It's a preoccupation with ourselves. I, I don't want to get hurt. I, I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to look bad. I, I, I don't want to get messed up in this situation. I, I, I don't want to. In fear, the focus is always on me. Love, true love... The focus is always external. My uh, side note, as I, was, as, I was, as I was looking over my notes this morning, I was reminded of uh, when I was in college, my, my college roommate was trying to, he was trying to woo this girl and she wasn't real, she was kind of leery of the relationship. So he wrote her a note saying, "Look, you, not, you need to not be afraid of this. You, you, need, to, you need to embrace what God has." And, and so he writes her this lovely note. And, and at, at the bottom of the note, he puts 1 John four eighteen, right? Love casts out all fear. Well, he meant 1 John four eighteen. He left out the one. And so instead of putting 1 John 4.18, he put John 4.18. And so when she opened it and she saw John 4.18, she opened her Bible to John 4.18, which says this. You have had five husbands, and the, husband, the man that you have will not give him your name. <laughs> so close. And yet so far away. Faith. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he talks about this issue of of dealing with the challenges in life of, of coming against and, and, or, or in standing firm rather a, 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 in response to all those things that come against you. And he describes the, the spiritual armor that God has given us. Talks about the sword of the spirit, talks about girding our loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And he says this in, in verse 16, and above all, above all, isn't that interesting? Above all, be sure to take faith as your shield. For it can quench every burning missile the enemy hurls at you. And that's what Satan does. Satan loves to suggest fearful thoughts. He loves to give hurtful thoughts. You found that to be true? Sure, you know, it's the only way that Satan can work in your life. The only way that Satan can work in your life is by offering suggestions, offering thoughts, throwing questions at you. See, when God speaks to us, we know it is inspiration. When Satan speaks to us, we know it is temptation. The devil gives us these ideas. And, and what we do with those, it's really our choice. And, and understand this, the devil's going to make suggestions. He's going to bring temptations all the time. He's going to speak negative things over you all the time. And, and the, the, the overwhelming majority of those, what they are, they're fearful thoughts. The Bible says this, it says, Take faith as your shield so that you can extinguish the fiery missile's Of the evil one, and faith is faith is is action. When, when the when the children of Israel, when they were going to go from the wilderness into the promised land, and they, they had to they had to cross the river Jordan. The river Jordan is is only a couple hundred feet wide and very shallow, except at except at, at harvest time when it's at flood stage then it's over a mile wide and it's a raving ridger, raving, raging river. And so when Moses dies and, and God says to Joshua, Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. It's now time for you to lead Israel across the Jordan and into the promised land. Worst possible time to try to cross the Jordan. Had they waited a while and the river come back into its banks it would have been easy, but But God says this, you're going and you're going at what in the natural is the seemingly uh, most impossible time. And it's going to look different. You see, when they crossed the Red Sea, Moses stood, held out his staff, and the the waters parted. This time, it required them to put their feet into the water. Uh, God, last time, we didn't have to put our feet in the water. God, last time you took care of it ahead of time to where we could see that everything was cool. God, the idea of going and stepping into a raging river seems like a pretty stupid idea. God, here's what I think. I think you should do it the way that you did it with Moses before 40 years ago. That would be a much better deal, God, because this whole getting into a raging river just seems like a pretty foolish idea to me. But that, friends, that's what faith is. Faith is action. It's beyond just believing. And what God wants us to do is, He wants us to walk. He wants us to live in faith. And faith does not happen on your timetable. It didn't happen with Lazarus. It did not happen. It did not happen with a woman exiting a city. And this is what it tells us in Luke 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. The large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Don't cry. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know this. In the battles that you face, in the struggles that you endure, in this wrestling match between life and death, never doubt, never doubt, never doubt that God sees your pain. God sees your pain. Jesus was a man on a mission. He had laser focus. And yet, over and over again, we see these divine moments happen where Jesus is on his way to do something else and he stops. Jesus sees the situation and he steps into it. It would have been so easy for him to go, I've got all this going on, I've got all these issues, I've got, and he's not going to have it. He's not going to miss it. He has to do something the love that's in him, it compels him to act. And the situation that you find yourself in, understand this, God's not gonna have it, he's not gonna miss it, he's compelled to act. Now he might not act on the timetable that you want. Remember Lazarus, Lazarus is sick, Jesus waits two days. And when God doesn't operate in your timetable, it can bring frustration to you and doubt and even fear, gripping, soul gripping fear. No doubt when this woman's son is sick and dying, no doubt she's heard words about this miracle worker, this miracle carpenter from Nazareth who's going around laying hands on people opening up blind eyes healing deaf ears causing the lame to walk there was a guy on a mat that they lowered through a roof and Jesus said pick up your mat and walk and the guy picked up his mat and walked if only this Jesus was around but he was nowhere to be found. And then when hope is gone, suddenly there Jesus is. In the midst of your pain, when you want God to show up and it doesn't seem like he is, never buy into the satanic lie that God is not aware of what you're going through, that God does not see your pain because, friend, he knows what you're going through. and he cares. He's compelled by love, and he will move, because God not only sees your pain, he will step into the situation, and that's what he does. He steps into the situation, right? God sees the pain of this woman, and he, he stops this funeral procession. He says, don't cry. And then he walks up, and he he tells the, the bearers to stop. There's the body on a, a byron, an open, open, in essence, coffin, a, a glorified stretcher. And Jesus walks up and he, he speaks to this lifeless body. Young man, I say to you, get up. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't just bring a young man back to life. Here's what he does He he fulfills God's promise to a grieving widow. The dead man sat up and began to talk. I I love this from verse number 15. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. I I want you to I want you to allow your mind to picture that for a moment. She's she's crying. All thought is gone. She's, even though she's crying, she's emotionally. Dead. She's just walking along and she's crying because it's the only thing her body knows to do. It's too late. All is gone. It's futile. And in in the midst of that, she feels a touch. She hears a voice. Don't cry. She is startled. She sees the man who touches her. and in that moment there's a there's a faint glimmer of hope that is almost snuffed out by the harsh reality there's wonder there's irritation and there's this Could it be? She watches as Jesus turns from her after saying, "Don't don't, don't cry," and him walking over and saying, hold, hold, hold up a minute, guys, just, just hold on, hold on right there. Jesus walks over to this lifeless body on a stretcher. And stands over it. Young man, I-, I want you to get up now. And the young man gets up, sits up, and starts to talk. Okay, in my, in my rendition of the story, in my mind, you know what mom does at that point? right? Because she's, listen, she's, she's so gone with energy. She's got no energy left. And she sees her, done, her, her, her dead son sit up. It's too much, <laughs> right? And the people around her are like, mama, wake up, mama. Come on. Hey, wake up. You don't want to miss this. Wake up. <laughs> and she is on the ground sitting up going, Okay, what in the world? Am I dreaming? And Jesus says (laughs) to the the young man on the stretcher, hey, come on, let's go take care of your mom. Let's go take care of your mom. And they lower down the stretcher. He gets up and he walks over and he takes his mom by the hands and helps her up and goes, it's going to be okay, mama. It's going to be okay. That's how big your God is. And you might think it's too late. You might think you're too far gone. You might think you've done too much. And while you believe in God your life is not governed by faith but your life is dominated by fear. And God brought you here today to let you know that he sees your pain. He understands the issue, the problem that is fueling that current pain. And God Is a restorer with resurrection power. And that which is dead in your life, that which is gone from your existence, that failure that you think is fatal, God wants to step between your funeral and your grave. Let's stand together. God, I thank you today for who you are and what you do. I thank you that you are a restorer with resurrection power. And God, I stand today. I stand today with people that have dreams that have died. They have relationships that have been crushed. God, there is... There's an individual here today that... has felt a ministry calling on their life and they've they've made some decisions and given in to some temptations that has convinced them that they are forever disqualified. And God, you have brought them here this morning to declare to them That you are a restorer, that you understand their pain, that God, even though there's, there's been a funeral, that you've brought them here today to declare to them that you are stepping in between the funeral and the grave. and that today, today you're bringing dead dreams back to life. You're bringing dead relationships back to life. You're bringing dead faith back to life. You're bringing physical healing to a body where the doctor has said there's nothing more that we can do. because that is the reality of who you are. So God, this morning, I pray for everyone here, but I, I focus on those who have come week after week. They, they come out of tradition, they, they come because at least the pain is relieved for a moment. And the time that they spend here in your presence and the time they spend in worship, it, it's, a, it's a balm for a moment. But God, they, they leave church week after week and they step back into that same pain. And they've accepted the lie that the enemy has told them that that is their new reality. I thank you, God, that you have so much more, so much more in store. You've brought them here today to tell them that even though in the natural, it would seem way too late, that it's never too late.